Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews, here with Next Improved Healthcare Attorneys Matthew Roberts and Nicole Murgo. Good to be with both of you today. And joining us in the studio is Todd Osberger. He is president and CEO of Lexington Medical Center, a 557-bed nonprofit hospital located in West Columbia, South Carolina. LMC, as it's known, anchors a healthcare network that includes five community medical centers and employs more than 7,000 healthcare professionals. Todd has served in Lexington Medical Center's leadership since 1999, helping oversee its expansion and commitment to excellence. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Nice to see y'all. You too, despite the fact that we are experiencing a dramatic surge in COVID cases. And um, from what we've just been hearing among friends and reading in the media reports, um, it looks like that is impacting your facility as well. Can you give us a, a view inside of what it's doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was going to say I'd be happy to. I'm not happy about talking about this at all, but we are clearly going to be talking about it for quite some time to come. Uh, I, I speak to a tremendous number of audiences about what's happening. I spoke to the Lexington Chamber breakfast on Tuesday. We had about 120 people. And I said, there is no one who wants this pandemic over more than I do, uh, except our nurses on the COVID units, our doctors in the ER, there's a tremendous amount of healthcare employees who are struggling through this, but it is far from over. Um, this is Friday, we are talking about this on Friday. Today, believe it or not, is the worst day of this pandemic in the last 16 months at Lexington Medical Center. And I know most people thought we were through it, it was over, and the truth is, we got a lot better, dramatically better. Um, but today's the worst day, and let me tell you why I say that. Um, I won't go back through. We diagnosed our first case in March, March 7th of 2020. And then again, you recall July of last year, our high was about 75 inpatients. And it came back down. And then the holidays hit, as you recall, and January was probably the worst day as the state thinks of it. January 24th, we had 147 patients in the hospital. Thankfully, vaccines became available. Those most at risk took them quickly and you saw people uh, stay away from each other clearly. And we got down as low as five inpatients on July 5th. Today, we have 155. Whoa. From five, five weeks ago. The curve, not only is the number greater, the steepness of the curve is much greater. So today, we have more people on ventilators than we have the entire pandemic. There's 39 COVID patients on ventilators this morning. Um, of those 155 patients, only 16 have been vaccinated. So, message, if you're not vaccinated, you're 90% of the patients in the hospital right now are unvaccinated. But it's a tremendous number, 155. And again, people may not grasp the, the, the scale of that number. We're operating roughly 500 beds, 550, but there's 530 people in the hospital this morning. That's a record too, by far. But it's the, it's the dramatic increase that puts traumatic tension on the system. I've told folks, we've pulled everyone off the bench we have. There just aren't any more help, but people are still coming in the door. So again, we're stretching, we're trying, we're delaying other care that's vital, but the wave is still coming. Um, 
in the emergency department on Wednesday, we admitted 89 patients out of that ER. We've never had, we had 165 ambulances come to the hospital on Wednesday. We've never had that kind of volume before. It's not just COVID. There's a lot of other sickness in our community and we should be there to be able to take care of them. But again, uh, as you may have saw in the state newspaper this morning, Dr. Powers tried to emphasize how critical it is. I told that chamber office or chamber breakfast as politely as I could, don't get sick today. Don't get in a car wreck. Don't have a heart attack. Don't have a stroke. We will do our best to take care of you. Our caregivers will do everything they can, but we're not providing the level of care that we would like to and we have in the past because we are overwhelmed with COVID. So is it better? It was, and it could be again if we wanted it to be. And that's the frustration I'm talking too long on your first question, but that's the frustration for the healthcare staff. In the fall, there was not a lot we could do about it. Masking works, we masked and it helps dramatically. But other than that, we couldn't do much. So we pulled together and we got through it and we said, there's hope on the horizon. Now we have a miracle drug and we have hope and people don't wanna help us. So the nurses say, I'm tired of doing this. And people don't listen to us and they don't believe us till the end and we can't keep doing this. So it's very bad, but we could do it tomorrow if we all wanted to work together and make a difference. It's so distressing to hear. And I mean, it's, it's so real. alarming to hear, but I'm, I'm thankful that you would share, you know, honestly like that. We, we have, and all the hospitals in the state have, we've tried to draw attention to demonstrate what's happening. And, and I'm frustrated a little bit by that because it, it isn't getting through. So we've got to re-envision how we communicate used to in the beginning we had a lot of talking head doctors and administrators and stuff and, and, and that probably didn't work now you're seeing more and more patients who are saying i wish i'd have got the vaccine i'm hoping that helps we invited nbc national news down they came down a year ago and spent a day with us they were just here two weeks ago and spent another day with us and they ran live cut-ins on msnbc all day and then it was the lead story on the national 630 news live from lexington medical center and it hasn't worked. Um, WIS has been great, the state newspaper. People are running stories, but the stories aren't connecting enough to take action. So again, we're continuing to try, but I'm open for any ideas you have on how to, uh, how to get this to register with people. It registers when they get sick, and it registers when somebody in their family gets sick. Right, which is too late. So challenge. How, how are your caregivers doing, your, your staff, and what can be done to help them? Because we know, as you said, they're completely overwhelmed. Uh, they are. Um, one of our physicians, Dr. Keith, is an intensivist. He works in our ICU, our, our, our COVID ICUs and our other ICUs. An amazing guy. Um, WIS actually did an hour-long broadcast a month ago preempted their eight o'clock news story to talk about a staff member of ours a woman whose husband and her father both died of covid and dr keith cared for them and and, and an interesting insight into the struggles those caregivers have because they're not immune to this disease either cut forward Next week, you'll see in the state newspaper, the Post and Courier, and every local Midlands newspaper, we're running a full-page ad uh, 
printing verbatim a post Dr. Keith put on his Facebook page two weeks ago, well, a week ago. In frustration, but trying to describe what he sees every day and how incredibly difficult it has become um, with his team and himself and begging people to get vaccinated. So it's to the point of begging now. So you'll see that, and I hope, again, people can empathize with the caregivers who are heroes, who don't get the opportunity to work from home. They don't Zoom their meetings. They don't get to stay home. Um, they got to get up every morning, kiss their loved ones goodbye, and put themselves at risk. Um, and they do that, and they've done it out of the goodness of their heart and their mission, but they'd like some help. So it's really difficult. Um, it's really difficult. Uh, uh, we need help. But we need the way people help is by helping us get this over. Get a vaccine and wear your mask. It is not that hard. Can you talk a little bit about your, your workforce and how the vaccinations are going with your workforce and how you're sure. encouraging that um, within the sure. hospital? Healthcare workers are like you and me. We live in our communities. We're members of our community. They, they aren't 100% vaccinated, unfortunately, like most of the community aren't. Um, we at Lexington six weeks ago were about 62% vaccinated. That's lower than you would think and lower than we would like. But similarly, they live in Lexington County. They, they see their Facebook page. They, they hear the influences that are barraging us all with the doubt, and they wonder as well. So we try to campaign over the last five weeks to incentivize and encourage people to do that. Um, we've been giving away iPads, iPhones, prizes, people that, have, that are stepping forward and giving vaccination. It culminated yesterday. We did a drawing and gave away a brand new Subaru Forester, Whoa. all taxes wow. paid to one of 6,000 people who have been vaccinated since it started. Uh, I'm gonna get emotional. We drew 25 names to get finalists yesterday. And the woman who won, who won is a, a nursing tech in our oncology practice, young African-American woman who came up on stage and she just cried and she just cried. And we were all excited for her. And I gave her the microphone and I said, why'd you get vaccinated? And she's, and she's crying. She said, I did it for my mother because she died of COVID in January. So it was great that she could win. And our, our percentage has come up. We're about 75% today. We're still not 100%. And that's the struggle we all have. It's getting better, but we're not quite where we are. Lexington County, conversely, is only at 49%. We are much lower than we need to be. Again, half of our citizens haven't taken advantage of this miracle drug. So we're working on employees across the state, trying to get as many people in the community too, but we're not where we need to be. That's an incredible effort. Right. To give away a car really to incentivize oh. people. Um, you find incentives work with some, but they don't work with all. Because again, um, I, I heard a, uh, an analogy, and I won't get it exactly right, um, with the struggle between your heart and your head. And the analogy went something like that, picture an elephant and the elephant rider. The rider or the driver is our head. We logically know what we should do or might should do, but our emotion and our heart and the things around our emotion is the elephant. And we're all getting barraged by different messages that question our emotion and our motivations. And the logic isn't always working out. 
Um, it's getting better, but it's not nearly where it should be yet. I hope that answered your yes, question. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, Todd, you, you have been a part of the leadership team at Lexington for a long time, and you have been a part of what made it great and grow so much. What has it been like for you personally to see that growth over the last 20-plus years? And frankly, I'm glad you have because now we have this public health crisis, and if we didn't have strong local uh, hospitals, we would be in trouble as a community. Yeah, but what's it like to see that to growth? Um, I, I appreciate that. I'll take a little bit of credit of that. But again, what's different about Lexington Medical Center is our employees we were just talking about and the culture of community and caring that I think, I know, they epitomize. Um, we're different. I interview every physician who wants to consider joining us, and we talk through our culture, and, and, and I don't veto too many, but it gives me a chance to gauge the, the, the people that are joining our, our team. Um, we're different. We are not the largest healthcare system in the state. We're not building hospitals in Greenville or Charleston or Rock Hill. We are the only real local independent hospital left in the Midlands and one of the few in the state. Our mission and our focus is to take care of our friends and neighbors here in the Midlands. Um, all of our eggs are in this basket. If the Midlands does well and we take great care of them, we'll do well, but we're not diversifying. We're, we're focused on our community. And we've, thankfully, we've got a great staff of nurses and clinicians who live in this community and have adopted that mission and, and taken it to heart. And we're trying repeatedly to commit, continue to to build that culture and focus on our community. And it is what I think has made us different. There's strategic issues we could talk about with campuses and buildings, but in the end, the truth is, it's the people that make a hospital. The buildings are nice, but they don't provide care. So the culture of Lexington, and I'm very proud of it, not that others aren't good as well, but we emphasize and spend a great deal of time on culture, and it's what's made a difference for us. Let's work, thankfully. Now, you, you mentioned um, you're focused on the Midlands, that you're different. Sure. Yeah. And, I, and I do see consolidation, mm -hmm. you know, you do. happening. You do. Well, what is the difference with being locally controlled like you are versus these hospitals that are joining together to sure. consolidate? And, and, and uh, it's not a value judgment. There's not a right or wrong uh, or a good or bad. In fact, across the country, you see it is much more difficult to remain local and independent. And we'll see how long that can be done. The, the industry is incredibly difficult. Scale really does matter. Um, so uh, again, it's not a value judgment. In our case, we think our local board, all who live in Lexington County, with a dedicated medical staff and a team every day focused on its community allows us to be a little more nimble perhaps uh, we make decisions quickly and we have, uh, let's argue, it's easier to get buy-in. It's hard to get buy-in to difficult strategic decisions when you have uh, organizations all over the state. So I, I have an advantage that uh, my colleagues at MUSC or Prisma perhaps don't, that they have so many constituencies that I'm sure that's a little more difficult to get consensus around. So it's not a, it's not a better or worse, it's just different. Um, and it's worked for us. Um, but it's incredibly difficult and challenging as healthcare gets more difficult to stay smaller and independent. That's why you don't see as much of us left. Right. There have been some recent federal laws in, um, 
implemented dealing with transparency, some couple of federal executive rules, and then the No Surprises Act sure. that focus on the pricing of hospitals and pricing with insurance companies. Sure. And hospitals have reacted to that. We also see a rise of healthcare consumerism. Mm -hmm. how, how are y'all dealing with that? And what are, you talk a little bit about uh, Lexington's response to these, these changes in the law. It'll be interesting to see uh, how this shakes out in a few years. We all recognize the difficulty with predicting and shopping healthcare costs. But, it, but on, the, on the provider side, uh, the physicians will tell you what we have to do with you and what your care needs are solely dependent on you, your other conditions, the facts around your care, how you take the medicines, how well it works. The, the predictability isn't as straight as one might like. So again, it's a challenge. We recognize the need, but nothing in healthcare is cut and dry. That said, there's a lot of momentum to try to help describe ranges of potential costs to, to, to patients. There's been a little too much from the hospital administrator, a little too much focus on pricing. Truth is, pricing doesn't matter, and, and, and I'm uh, saying that a little facetiously, but what really matters are contracted rates with insurance companies and what your plan covers and allows and what deductibles you choose. So the law that was recently passed challenged us all to put shoppable services online, and we've done that to a degree. So if you go on our website today and enter in your insurance information and the exitable procedures and things we think we're going to do, we can give an estimate, which again is helpful, I think, but I don't know if and when we'll ever get to the point of someone, you know, thinking of a hospital stay as a, as a car purchased. We're not going to get there. Um, and I don't necessarily think we should. Um, now, one of the interesting legal challenges uh, from the hospital association side is insurance hospital relationships or contractual relationships. If we are going to publicly disclose all of our negotiated rates, then that begs the question about why we have negotiated rates and what does that mean to the insurance company as well. So again, uh, it's an interesting question. We aren't... Um, we aren't uh, sure how that's going to sort through. Yeah, I think it, I think there are non-healthcare people who think that we'll be able to get on our phones and shop hospital services, and it really depends on what kind of service you need. Sure. But it's incredibly difficult for a hospital to say predict with a, you know million different things they offer what the cost for each one would be. I it can't tell you what your bill is going to be when you were admitted for COVID yesterday. Particularly with my I don't know how plan. long you're going to be there. I don't know how many drugs we're going to have to give you. I don't know how you're going to tolerate them. I don't know what your plan, you know, your plan will pay varying degrees. So now there are some things that are shoppable. So the consumerism point, the most visible example we all point to is an MRI or a CT. Expensive imaging or expensive services that you can put your hand around are those that are being most shopped. Now, I will also argue an MRI is an MRI is an MRI. The quality of that image and who's interpreting it matters. So. Some people would choose to choose the cheapest one you can get. I wouldn't do that if I were me. But again, it depends on your insurance coverage. So you'll see a few things more shoppable. So for example, we've dramatically reduced our prices for imaging and adjusted our contracts with our major payers to shift the reimbursement, frankly, from imaging to other services where we can uh, provide care so that those shoppable services are less um, 
uh, so, you know, large in, in the consumer's eyes when they open that. I personally don't think that's going to dramatically change the cost of health care in America. And what people aren't really talking about in the media is the health plan design and how that's changed. And people, the consumers aren't really aware of it. They're just signing up for the cheapest thing they can get. The cheapest copay right. or the cheapest premium is not right. the same as the cheapest plan. Right. Exactly. So, again, it, I recognize the challenge. We have, we have an industry have to figure out a way to help. Health care is too expensive in our country. But that's a greater challenge, and we need to address it as a country. It's not going to be addressed, in my political opinion, by uh, comparing the cost of COVID care at Lexington today to the similar care across the river. Well, um, COVID, you know, I know we started with COVID. I, I hate to um, conclude with COVID, but It's I, the most important thing we are doing. So, again, I'm happy to... I, um, yeah. I thought it'd be C-O-N. Come on. We talk about that all the time. <laughs> well, you know, actually, Matthew, uh, you did want me to ask about yes. C-O-N. <laughs> we, we have to ask about fine. C-O-N. We, we have, have to. to. It's I, an I obligatory. C-O-N. So, um, and I remember, you know, as a former working journalist at WIS covering the State House, C-O-N so, issues from course. the 90s and early 2000s, oh, yeah. right? Been there. Um, and so, you know, there has been some debate about, and this yeah. is certificate of need for those of you um, watching and listening, about whether to do away with that. And it's going to come up in the legislature again, likely when they reconvene in January. What are your thoughts on the viability, the future of it? I wear two hats. Um, My personal thoughts and the Lexington Medical Center thought, but I'm also the immediate past chair of the South Carolina Hospital Association. And I'm currently chairing our association, CON Task Force to work on what we will be recommending to the to the legislature in January. And that process is ongoing. We've had a few meetings right now. Um, I think I speak for all hospitals in the state who say, we still believe certificate of need provides a value to the state of South Carolina. However, it needs reformed. Uh, it, it has, uh, the environment we, work, we live in and compete in today is not the one that existed when it was created. Um, uh, the reimbursements have changed dramatically. We don't get paid uh, based on cost any longer. So in, in the old days, if you restricted somebody from building, you helped reduce costs. That's no longer the case. Um, and too often we see large hospital systems use CON as a, as a weapon to try to stop their competitors from providing services to patients and doctors. That's not right. However, there are many small rural hospitals and uh, providers in our state who are providing services to all regardless of their ability to pay. And without CON, they fear, probably appropriately, that for-profit either independent uh, physician-owned entities or for-profit specialty hospital systems would come into their areas and take only paying patients and leave them with no one else to help pay the bills. That's not good for South Carolina. So what we're trying to do is to craft a reform package that reduces the things that are CON reviewable, raises the dollar thresholds that are in it, they are so antiquated. They haven't been touched in 25 years. You can't buy anything in, in the medical technology world today for $600,000. So we need to modernize it. We need to shrink it, but still try to protect the, the 
primarily rural providers who are providing care to all regardless of their ability to pay. A free-for-all system has been tried in other states. Uh, we don't think that'd be the right thing for South Carolina. However, we have to reform it. Our current process, uh, speaking to, to attorneys specifically, the appeal process for CON takes way too long as an understatement. It's, it's too expensive, takes too long, and again, it's, it's used as a weapon. It's not used for other purposes, in my opinion. We need to shrink that appeal time and make it, if there's a reasonable appeal, let's get through it. Let's get through it quickly and let the chips fall where they may. But the dragging these on for years and years and years at untold millions doesn't help the patient or the doctor. So Agreed. we need to make some changes. Think there's an appetite for it this year in the General Assembly? Uh, it's hard for someone who's not in the General Assembly to ever predict right. <laughs> what comes out of the State House. What's different this year is you're seeing strong voices for appeal in the Senate that you haven't seen in the past. The House has, you know, had concerns for a while, but the Senate's a little more historically deliberate body, and they haven't been uh, quite so uh, amenable. That's not the case right now. Yeah, I think there's a, I think repeal is on our horizon unless we have a good reform package that we can stand behind as a, as a group. But if we can't, if the hospitals can't agree and keep putting our heads in the sand, then I think it goes away. Well, it'll be definitely something to watch this uh, year. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Nicole, Matthew, on behalf of both of you, Todd, I just want to say thank you for oh, sure. um, coming today. We talked about a variety of things, but we, we started with COVID, and I'd, and I'd just like to end with COVID, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. And um, if you really would, just share from your heart what you would to somebody who, you know, might see this and is on the fence, right? Maybe they thought for whatever reason, <clears throat> that I'm just, I don't need it, I'm healthy, or whatever. Um, but if you would share with them some concluding thoughts. The vaccine works as it's intended. It's a miracle. Uh, if you, we have never produced something to save our society that quickly as these vaccines were created. They aren't a magic shield that will protect you forever from getting infected. But again, based on what we know right now, you have an eight-fold reduction in getting infected, but you have a 25-fold reduction in getting hospitalized or dying. So it's a miracle drug. And it's frustrating we have to convince people to take a miracle drug. Um, again, think of the Salk vaccine. We've talked about these others. People lined up in the streets to get this miracle. Our politics, I will blame for a great deal of this, have caused us to splinter and not unite around saving our country. Um, it's that serious, but we aren't rallying together to save our country. And the, the arguments for independence and my liberty, uh, I don't have tolerance for that because your individual liberty doesn't allow you to get me sick. That's not what America stands for. We, we come together and we help each other. And we're spending too much time arguing whether I should help you or not. And the truth is the bug doesn't care. Doesn't care your politics, doesn't care what you believe. It's looking for a live body and we have too many of them out there for it to live in. Um, I'm afraid what's gonna happen in our school system. Um, we will find out here in the next few weeks but if our parents don't keep masks on their children 
and get them vaccinated, then the parents and their loved ones will get sick in addition to those children and our hospitals will be overwhelmed. So it's still serious. We need to do all we can and we all could do it. Turn off the Facebook, please. Listen to your doctors. Listen to your doctors. We trust our doctors to save us when we get sick. So people are coming to the hospital with COVID saying, help me. But we're not trusting our doctors in the beginning who tell you how to not get COVID. There's something wrong with this. Turn off the Facebook. Listen to your doctors, please. Help us. As for your doctors and your hospital staff, um, you know, say, us saying thank you isn't nearly enough, but Take we're, some action. we're grateful. Thank you. And so, um, you know, we, we wish them the best, that they remain strong and very courageous. Um, and we thank you for joining us today, really. Appreciate it. And Appreciate for, it. Thanks, Todd. For those Help spread you, the word, please. Yes. Um, share this on socials if you're watching it. Um, and we hope you stay safe. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that we'll see you next time right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare podcast. <laughs>